I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 51. We want to uh, continue in this, in this passage, uh, looking at this passage as an understanding of our coming to God in repentance. Let's stand for the reading of the Word, and we want to read uh, verses 1 through run th- one through 12. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before you. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you this morning, we acknowledge that Our need for you is great, but what a Savior in Christ Jesus you have provided for us, and how merciful and gracious you have been to us. So as this morning, as we look into your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would probe the depths of our hearts, that, Lord, we would be willing to uncover before you the need of our souls and admit to the truth of your word and and acknowledge it, confess it, and believe it. I pray this morning that you would change our lives. Lord, that which has been uh, ungodly, chaotic, and uh, does not resemble the life of the Son of God, I pray that you would transform us by your word, by your spirit working in us to that which is of you, that which is brought to order, that which is brought to light, that which is made pure, that which is made clean in your sight. We pray for your divine blessing upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we want to take for this this morning, we want to begin in verse 5, and if possible, go through verse 10, but not sure if we'll make it that far. So we may, we may split this into two, two passages. But we, we come this morning to the passage where David has, is giving, he's expressing what he's looking at and what he's experiencing as he comes to God wanting to be free from his sin. We talked last time about the attitudes that accompany true repentance. How that it's coming to God for mercy, realizing that God is a place where we find mercy. And as sinners, we need a God who has mercy. Unless God has mercy upon us, we perish under his wrath. Jonathan Edwards painted that vivid picture in that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. How that the sinner is dangling as a spider over in a web over the flames of hell. And at any moment... The web would break and the, he would be immediately be in hell. Or that he is standing on a slope that is so slippery that even his own feet, his own weight and his own feet 
if they slip, will send him directly into hell. That is the state of the sinner this morning. I, I, I beg of you this morning, if, if you are not in Christ, consider, consider the danger you are in. It is by the mercy of God that you are not yet where you deserve to be, that I have never went where I deserve to be. And it was only because God had mercy on us that we are saved. And let's, this is not a cheap salvation. It's God that works holiness in his people. Christ earned every bit of the righteousness that he gives to us. It's his. And he gives it to us. So as we look at this, this first passage, David is at first part of this passage, David is understanding he needs, he needs God to be at work in him. When Nathan the prophet came to him and, and revealed to him that he is the sinner, David did not blame other people. He did not pass it off on an excuse for something that somebody else did. But he said, I'm the man. I have sinned. It's me. Brothers and sisters, we all must come to this place if mercy of God is going to prevail in our lives. Proverbs says the, that, once, that the man who hides his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. That's how God operates. God does not operate as one who is in the dark, one without, without the the revealing of his mercy and at the same time revealing his sin, the sin and making a clean break from it. So we come to this passage now, and David, as he has acknowledged his sin, verse 3, he's, he's asked God for mercy in verse 1. He's asked God for washing. In verse 2, he's, asked, he's acknowledged his transgression and his sin in verse 3, and in verse 4, he puts it at the right place. He says, I've only sinned against you, really, God. Yeah, I, I killed Bathsheba's husband. Yes, I, I, I was committed adultery with her. I, I, I sinned against, against all Israel by hiding this thing and acting as though I'm righteous when I'm not. But ultimately, it goes back to God because only God holds the true uh, the true standard by which David fell. And so David is now looking to God. And when David does this, he comes to the place where we are today. And the title of this message is Acknowledging the Greatest Human Need. Acknowledging the Greatest Human Need. And if you've never seen yourself as with all other people, where God says we are outside of him. My friend, I, I, I pray that today this word will grip your heart. Because today is the day of salvation. We don't have a promise of tomorrow. We don't have a promise of next week. We don't have a promise of the future. We do have a promise that today he saves. Today he gives life. Today is the day when we must pay attention to this. So he says, behold, <clears throat> the first thing I want us to understand, the first thing that we understand as David is, 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 is going into the cause of his sin. He, he takes, he, he wants to, he, he gives an accurate description of what is going on with the human heart. And this is an accurate understanding of the human heart. This is what David said. I was brought forth in iniquity. David, when he uses the word behold, this is, we notice verse 5 and verse 6 begin with the word behold. And it's, and it's a parallelism. It's, it's a way of, of stating the same thing two different ways. And he uses the same beginning. 
when he does this. And the word behold is a word that's used to draw attention to a fact, a fact that requires an action or that requires a conclusion to be based upon it. It's either a means to an action or it requires an action. So as David is, is, has said, my sin is always before me. This was a pain to him. But he took a deep dive. He didn't just skim it over the top, brush it off, uh, slough it off, throw it away, you know, aside. He took a deep dive into not just what I did, but why did I do that? Listen, we got to get beyond what we do as sinners, and we got to get to why we do it. And if we never goes, if our salvation, our theology never goes deeper than what we do, we don't have God's theology. Our theology is too shallow if that's all we got. Because God is going to deal with the heart. Salvation always begins with the heart. It's the root that produces the fruit. You can't take fruit on a bad, good fruit on a bad tree and expect success. And neither can you do that in the Christian life. The fruit must come out of the root. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, in my natural state, he said, I was brought forth in iniquity. That word iniquity means that, it's, that there is a guilt upon his conscience of continued transgression against the law of God. There's a, there's a stream here. There's a, there's a polluted and vile stream from which he came. As a natural man. And let's, let's just be honest. We've all come from there. You know, he says, I was, you know, we take a little baby and we love little babies. They have not yet acquired the devious, all the devious ways of the world. But you don't have to take a little baby very long before you know that that little, that little boy or that little girl is a liar. They are they are thieves. They are transgressors. I mean, if you want to bring out the worst in a child, tell them what they can't do. They will immediately rebel against that. You see, God, in His righteousness and in His holiness, wants us to understand how far we fell when man took partook of that fruit in the Garden of Eden. David here is acknowledging that his heart, that the heart of his problem was a problem in his heart. The heart of his problem was a problem of his heart. There was, he was born with a heart that was bent against the truth of God. He's taking everything from his natural state by birth. He's taking in, sorry, let me say that again. He's taking in everything from his natural state of birth. He's, he's, he's trying to, to pull it together. And, and, and he's holding it up against what God requires of him, which is what we must do. And he wants to see what, God, what it is that God is going to do and what is required of him. And what happened in his life to bring about the sin and the problem that created the deficit between what God requires and where he is. Folks, if we don't take that kind of a dive into our lives... It's like the, doctors, like the doctors always say, a good diagnosis is half the cure. If we never understand the root of our sin, we will never see Christ as the glorious Savior that He is. The deepest need that we have goes back, is, is revealed in what God has told us about ourselves, and it goes back before we were born. Second thing, he's not only 
taking a deep dive, but he's believing what God reveals, what God has said. He believes that he was born and it brought forth an iniquity, and even at the earliest stage of life, of conception, he says there was sin there. He believes this because this is what God reveals. He doesn't, he's not, he's not trying to, to paint a picture to, to, get his, to get himself off the hook. But he, this is what he believes because this is what God has said. Hold your finger here and let's go to Romans 5. And Apostle Paul explains the same thing in Romans 5. <clears throat> In Romans 5, we're going to look at beginning in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death passed, spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, what is, what is he saying? He says that as through one man. Who is the one man he's talking about? We were going to look. We look down here in, in verse, verse 14. Nevertheless, it says death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Adam, when he sinned, he plunged the whole line of human of his human prodigy into sin. Just we've got to understand this as a type of representation. Adam was created to represent all of human being, all humans. Christ was re was given to represent and lead the new the new race. The, the, the cre new creation, those who are made new in Christ Jesus. And as Adam fell in, 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 in the Garden of Eden, so every human has fallen. So just as one man, through one man, sin entered the world, death comes along with sin. The wages of sin is death. So death now has passed to all men, because all have sinned. And so we must come to the, to, the, to the place, to the conclusion, that God is right in, in condemning us to death. Because the nature that was brought, that Adam, by which, the, the nature which Adam passed on to, his, to the next generation, has passed down every generation to this one. And it is the same thing. There is a bent against the will of God. There is a hatred for the real truth of our state with God. We are, as Jonathan Edwards says, sinners in the hands of an angry God. By nature. Let's turn back to Psalm 51. And let's, uh, let's go a little further. And let's understand why we are in this place. Verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And you will make me, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. You see, David realizes that what God requires is the way God intended us to be when he created Adam. God created Adam not with this bent against him but with a desire to have fellowship with him. He says he walked in the cool of the day 
with him. And there was fellowship there. There was intimacy with the man and the woman. There was a, a, a heart to heart that was, that was, that was not uh, defiled by any sin. And when Adam and, and when Adam and Eve sinned, the immediate result of that sin was that fellowship with God was broken. Now no longer were they looking forward to their meeting with God, to God coming and walking with them, but they ran and they hid from Him. And the result is that nature is, is, is what we still have. We want to run and hide from God. And it will be an, even that way to the last day. When it says the sinners will run to the cry to the rocks and mountains, fall on us to hide us from the wrath of God. So, David realizes that this is his state apart from the mercy of God. God has designed him and has made him for truth, for wisdom. If we hold our finger here, we turn to Psalm 58 and verse 3. He says this, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ear which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. Notice that the wicked, he says, they're estranged. Use that word estranged. They're, 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 they're apart from God. They're away from God. They're, they're not with God. From where? From the womb. From the womb. And we must acknowledge that. And we must understand that. Notice it says, they go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. You know, how many times do you take a little baby and you, you know, you've, you've, you've fed, his, fed him, you've changed his diaper, you've given him good clothes, he's, should, he's, he's, but... You, you lay him down to go to sleep, and he just cries and cries, like, like he's hungry or like he's hurting. The moment you pick him up and hold him, he's fine. That's all he wanted, somebody to hold him. <clears throat> you know, he, he made it sound like something was really wrong on the outside, but he's trying to, to, to get you to do something. There's nothing wrong with holding your baby. I'm not trying to say that's wrong. But in other words, they will use manipulation and, 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 and falsehood, even from a young age. Where do they get that? Well, it didn't come from God. It comes from that nature. And that's why, that's why there must be a radical change of heart. There must be a change of life. There must be a change that, that let, me, let me back up. There must be a change of heart that brings a change of life for us to understand what it means for God to have mercy upon us. If, 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 if we're just going to change a few things on the outside and reform a little bit of our, of our behavior, we've never gotten to this issue. We've never done. It's never went. The gospel has never reached the place of our deepest need. And we're running around chasing everything in the world to fill that deepest need. And Christ is the one and the only one who can fill that need. And so this morning, David realizes that it's bigger than him. He's participated in it. 
Yes, he chose to commit adultery. Yes, he chose to murder. Yes, he chose to cover it up. He chose all that. Why did he choose it? Because there was a root that goes with the fall of man that is evil. And let's, let's go a little further. David believed that in his carnal body, there, was, there, was, there were desires that did not accord with wisdom and truth. Because now he's asking for the wisdom of God and the truth of God. In, Psalm, I mean, in Romans 7, Paul acknowledges the same thing. That as a, saved, as a saved man, as a preacher of the gospel, as someone who knows God intimately, <coughs> we have in, in Romans 7, in verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law warring in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And what he's simply saying is that even as saved children of God, which David, we could have said, is a, he's a sweet psalmist of Israel. He's a man after God's own heart. If anybody was leading spiritual worship, it was David. If anybody was about promoting the kingdom of God, it was David. If anybody established Israel as a nation of God, it was David. And all these righteous things that he has done, he's living in a body, in a body that's going to decay and die because in this body, there's a defilement of sin. You know, when we're born again, <coughs> our soul is redeemed. But our body is going to die. We're going to get a new body one day. But what Paul is saying here is that while I am present in this world and the Spirit of God is working in me to do that which my body doesn't even really want to do, it's against nature for me to deal with my sin. He says, I find then that there's a war going on. Let me just say it this way. If you are not born of God, if you're not born again, if you've never been cleansed from your sin, the battle for truth is always a loss in your life. You're dead in trespasses and sins. What does a dead fish do with the stream? He floats with it. And so as the current of evil comes along in his life, he just goes with it. But a live fish, he swims upstream against the current of sin. He's, he's, he's wanting to go somewhere that is different from where he's at. And though Paul says, I'm going somewhere other than my sin, I find that even as I'm struggling against sin, there's this dichotomy in my life this 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 twofold thing that i have to deal with one i have to deal with my flesh but on the other hand i'm pursuing christ and let's understand that repentance is is bringing about the change of heart that gives us the right and the privilege to pursue christ against our own native desires. You want miracles today? You want healings today? You want many marvelous things? Look at that. You want to talk about a miracle? Look at a man who will turn his back on his own native desires to pursue Christ. That's the miracle of miracles. 
The righteousness of Christ being fulfilled in the life of a believer is the miracle of God working in our lives. I'll take that any day over being healed from my physical infirmities. I'll take that any day over having life going along with a song. I'll take that any day over having no confrontation and no conflict. Why? Because there's eternal glory involved. This bears eternal weight. David is understanding here in Psalm 51 exactly what Paul was saying. That even though God is bringing me to repentance, there's an evil root that I have to deal with. And until the day we die, folks, in this body, we will be dealing with the evil intentions and desires of the flesh. It's part of it. And it's until then, until we're united with him and we're absent from this body, away from the presence of sin, that there will be no fight against sin anymore. What a glorious day that will be. But David understood this. He said, I understand that where I have harbored that sin, that's where God wants truth and wisdom. Listen, I'm telling you, you sin, you and I sin because there are roots that go down into our flesh. We follow Christ because he has transformed us and put a new root system in our lives. When that is so, our, our ruling nature is now the, by the Spirit of Christ, not by the works of the flesh. You want to know, am I a Christian or am I not? What do you think about when nobody puts pressure upon you? When nobody is around to hold you accountable? When nobody is there to, to take your attention away? What, what are you thinking about? Who's, 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 who's master there in the inward man? You see, when Christ is at work in the heart of a believer, he's going to keep bringing his truth. He's going to keep bringing his wisdom. Holy Spirit's going to keep leading us to ways of pleasantness and peace in the kingdom of God. And David understood something was absolutely wrong here. And that's what we must come to grips with. How is it with you, my friend, this morning? Have you taken the painful journey of repentance by admitting and agreeing with God about what He says about your sin? Yes, it's a painful journey. And there are some consequences of sin that we will live with all our lives. But there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. To be free with God is to be free indeed. I just call to mind a man that we visited in prison who, who was having an affair. When he, before he went to prison, he was having an affair with a woman and actually had his wife murdered so that he could be with this other woman and was caught in the whole thing, and is sentenced to life in prison. And I remember his testimony. He said, brother, I don't have to be outside these walls. I was a prisoner out there. I'm free in here. I found Christ. You see, when Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. There's no, there's no God doesn't hold back on you. He sets you free. And my friend, that, that comes with admitting what God has said about us. Do you understand that you are by birth, by birth you are an enemy to God, and, he is de- and that all that He has declared is holy and right? You know, as, as, as Isaiah was reading there in the Psalms, David talks about how that the, what, what the wicked have coming for them. 
And then he says, turns right around and says, but God, your words are right and holy. And we, we, we have a problem sometimes. People have a problem with the wrath of God. Well, God is right. He's just with his wrath. If he was not a God of wrath, he would not be a just God. He wouldn't be right. No more than a, than a, than a, than a judge would let a serial murderer and rapist go on the streets. You see, God is going to do the right thing. And that's what we must understand about what he says now to us. It's right. We, 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 we kind of like to bend it our direction. But we've got to let God's word be as it is. Are you willing to honestly assess the state of your soul and acknowledge that there is no good that you can do to merit righteousness with God? Are you willing to look into your soul as a natural person and say of my natural man there is nothing i have that god would say well he's i like what he's got i think i'll take him. there is no such thing think of the rich young ruler where jesus is is he comes to jesus he says good master what must i do to inherit eternal life jesus said why are you calling me good there's only one good but god <coughs> jesus leads him further and he says you know, what, what does the law say? How, 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 do, you, how do you determine that, you're, that you're, you're, you're going to follow God? He said, well, all these things I've, I've kept from my youth up. And Jesus touched on the very issue of his heart. And he says, sell what you have and give to the poor. Come follow me. Jesus was not asking anything more of him than he was asking of any one of us. Now, it doesn't what he, was, what he was touching on was that God was not his ruler, his king, his Lord. His money was. God was a means to an end for him. He walked away sorrowful for he had many possessions. And he, was, he walked away sorrowful because the money meant more than following Christ. And I tell you, that's what we will do every time. If we feel like we're bringing something good to the table. If we feel like something that we have to offer is, is okay, it's good. But we must come only bringing to God our need of Him. Our need of Him. And when we do so, it humbles us to the place where He builds within, He comes into our hearts and He changes our lives. So I ask you, have you submitted yourself to God's holy judgment about you and sought after Him for your salvation? See, it's not just about admitting and acknowledging. When you see what He, he wants you to see, it will press upon you to come in. Jesus said the violent are taking the kingdom of God by force. Why are they doing so? They see what God sees. They see that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what God was showing them. And when they do, they've got to have rest for their souls. And so, my friend, David is understanding that, there's, that this issue is not going to be remedied outside of God working in him. So not only does he acknowledge what God has to say, but let's notice, secondly, a submission, a humble submission to God's truth. A humble submission to his truth. Notice that he says, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. He submitted himself to the fact that God is going to be the one in charge of bringing wisdom into his life. He realized that what he did was foolish. And he needed wisdom that did not come from him, but came from God. And this is what we must understand is that we put no confidence in our flesh. That there is, as God is building 
His work in our life, that there is no confidence that we should put in ourselves. In fact, in Psalm 37, hold your, hold your hand here. Let's turn back to Psalm 37. Let's look at, at verse 32. I'm sorry, verse 23. Psalm 37, beginning in verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Now, he talks about a good man here. And ultimately, we know, as Jesus said, there is none good but God. But if there is a measure of goodness in someone's life, why is it there? It's been ordered by the Lord. It's been put in place by God himself. God builds the character of man. God does the work internally that results in something being good. We, we think about this, that when God was done with his creation, what did he say? It was very good. You know, we, we, we build things, we do things, we construct things, we put things together, we make things happen. And, and at some point in human in human philosophy, things fall apart. Buildings fall down. Cars break down eventually. Stuff rusts and decays. Because it's, it's, it's not built by God, it's built by us. And so what we have to understand is that when God designs a man's life and orders it, it's, it's good because of him being there. And what does he say about it? He delights in it. It is a joy to the heart of God to see His goodness coming out of the life of a person. That's why David says, I want your wisdom to be built in me because I want you to delight in me. I want to have joy with you. God, I want to have fellowship with you. I want this to be a thing that I can come and I, we can build something that you want here. God will not share his glory with another. And if you want to strike a deal with God and say, God, if you do this, I'll do this. You're going to fall flat on your face because God never commits to doing anything like that in anybody's life. He says that the way the whole ways of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That's why Jesus said, go sell all your, all your belongings and give them to the poor. Because he knew, he knew that this man, this rich young ruler, had an agenda whereby he could serve himself and serve God at the same time. Or he thought he could. And, and, and Jesus just pulled the rug out from under that and said, no, we're not going to do that at all. And friends, we've got to understand that that's how God is. He's going to build it all, or he's not going to build it at all. And that's, that's why David is looking into his heart, and he says, you want truth and wisdom in the inward part, and that's what you delight in. And the problem, our problem is still that we, we hold to our sin because it's based upon a lie. All sin is based upon a lie. Turn with me to Genesis 3, verses 4 to 6. <clears throat> and here we find the passage where it is recorded that the first sin comes into the world. Uh, Beginning in verse 4, Genesis 3, verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, 
and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. You have here what's perceived as goodness based on a lie. Satan told her that God knows that the day you eat of this, you will be like God. I, I'm just, you know, how, how well does that match what they experienced? They knew good and evil once they partook of the fruit. But it was not to exalt them. It didn't promote them. It didn't give them more glory. It brought shame. It brought dishonor. It brought evil into the world. Every sin is based upon a lie. Every sin falls under this category in verse 6 here in Genesis. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and something that would make one wise. We have at the root of man's sin three things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's what the world, that's what the world functions on. That's what the world lives on. And that's what the sinful man thrives on. He sees it and likes it. He, it appeals to his natural tastes and desires. And it's going to make him better than, than he has been or better. It's going to advance him, maybe even above his fellow men, the pride of life. And so... This humble recognition that God wants truth in the inward parts is a recognition that our sin was based upon a lie. And now the truth must reside where, lie, where the lie once, once lived. Friends, my sin and your sin, it has its roots in the lie. And part of that lie is that more is to be gained by hanging on to my sin and just covering it up and just keeping it hidden and just trying to work out a deal with God where I can do enough good and He'll bless me enough that I can get by. More is gained that way than it would be from turning from our sin in true and full repentance. Matthew Henry also says this, What God requires of us, He Himself works in us. He works it the regular way, enlightening the mind and so gaining the will. Notice what He says here in Psalm 50, 51, verse 6. In the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. God will make this happen. God requires that it be there. God expects it to be there. And he delights in it when it's there, but he's the one who makes it happen. Do you see that? This is a promise for every person who turns to God. Is that what he requires, he supplies. He doesn't ask us to come up with something that we can't supply. Because we don't have goodness to dig into. It's a little bit like trying to get me to write a checkout for money that's not in my account. But he supplies, he supplies the wisdom, he supplies the goodness, he supplies the truth, and he requires it of us. So David understood that God must renew his heart and soul and give him the wisdom that God is wanting. And so as he, as he comes to this understanding, we come to... The next point, verse 7, that there must be a cleansing. <clears throat> there must be a holy cleansing. We not only have an accurate understanding of the human heart, but we have humble submission to God's truth, and now he comes to a holy cleansing. He says, purge me with hyssop. 
This word purge me means to clean deeply and thoroughly. It means to, to, to cleanse out all the, the elements, the roots of this sin. This means going deep into my heart and, and, and dealing with what's there. He, uses, he says, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a leafy plant in Israel that's used for, to, for ceremonial purposes, to sprinkle blood uh, upon the doorposts when they were leaving Egypt. They were to take hyssop, dip it in the blood of the lamb, and sprinkle it over the posts of the door and to be inside there. It was, it was used also for the cleansing rite. And, and, the, and hyssop was God's plant that he designated for them to use to sprinkle blood in the, in the places to be clean. And he says there that, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. And when he says, purge me with hyssop, he's not saying it's a physical problem that I have. It manifested itself in actual adultery, an actual murder, and an actual cover-up. But the problem wasn't those things. The problem lie in the heart, and the heart wasn't clean. And he says, cleanse me, purge me, take that out. That part of me that's been untruthful, that part of me that's been foolish. If you wash me this way, Lord, I shall be clean. The washing here is literally a fuller's washing. It literally means to take, when they had a, a badly stained garment, they would, they would, they would tread it down. It means means they would, they, it went through a rigorous process, a, a, a tough cleaning He says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness. And I want us to understand that joy and gladness are not some just, in the Hebrew language, there was not this understanding of joy and gladness in the sense that many people today understand it. Happiness today is a very light and trivial thing. Let's throw a party. Let's have Let's have just, you know, things can be badly wrong, but we're just going to party across the, the surface. For the, for the Jewish people, it had to be good. Things had to be good before they would rejoice. And we can go to where they were taken into captivity, and they sat there under the, the, the willow trees along the banks of the river, and the people that were with them said, Sing us one of the Lord's songs says, we hung our harps in the willow trees and we said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? It tells you something about the joy and gladness that David's talking about here. Things had to be right for him to be joyful. Things had to be whole again for him to be glad. You see, what he's asking for is not just a giddy feeling, but a wholeness of well-being. I want to be whole in my spirit. Repentance brings a yearning and a longing to be whole with God, to be right with God completely, so that joy exudes from us. In fact, I, I tell you, that's what we should be known for. We should be known for joy, being joyful, not, not as we say, weaned on a dill pickle. We should be the most joyful people in the world. Because in reality, things are right with God. Well, we look at the things of this earth and we say nothing seems to be going right. Yet with God, every child of God has his sins cleansed they've been purged they've been taken away and there's a renewal of relationship and he says make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice that the bones you have broken may rejoice we go back to psalm 32 and we can talk about how that he he said his bones are crushed under the weight of this sin 
God, when He brings us to Himself, He does a work of discipline in our lives. And yes, He in some ways crushed David to bring him to repentance. But I want to look at a, at a, at a verse in Psalm 119 and in verse 65. Psalm 119 and verse 65. Here's what he says. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You understand that he said, God's doing me right. Yeah, he crushed my bone. He broke me. But he's doing me right because before I was afflicted, I went astray from him. Yeah, I was a lamb. I wasn't one of his sheep, but I kept running off. But he said, when after I was afflicted, now I keep your word. I just want to tell you God's discipline works. He knows how to get to us. If you're a child of God this morning and you've strayed, he may break the bone. He may crush the tendon. But it's in love so that you won't stray. You know, there's a, and I don't know how true this is, but there's a saying, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a likeness to this that the shepherds would take a, a lamb that was, would stray out of the flock. And they just couldn't keep the lamb with the flock. And it was dangerous for the lamb because who knows where he could be, and it would eventually take his life because uh, he would fall somewhere or he would be taken by a wild animal. So the shepherd would take him over to a rock and would break the leg purposely, intentionally. And then he would splint it up, wrap it up, and from that point he had to hold the lamb. He had to keep the lamb with himself everywhere they went until the, broke, until the broken leg was healed. And that's the picture. He says the bones that you have broken may rejoice again. God only breaks bones, friends, because he doesn't want children that stray. He says, I want children that keep my word. And brothers and sisters, this is the way he deals with all his children. Yes, sometimes the discipline seems grievous but it brings about the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who are trained by it. God's ways work. And that's what God is doing with David. And friends, that's what God will do with us. Let's not be afraid to humbly lay ourselves at His feet because we are, we are lost without hope unless he saves us and yes it, it's not going to be an easy road but give me difficulty if it still means that my relationship with christ is what it ought to be what he says it ought to be does god does your relationship with christ matter to you that much today that's what David is saying. Whatever it takes, Lord, nothing else will go right in my life unless my relationship with you is what it ought to be. Let's pray. Our Father, as we humble ourselves before you, we recognize you deal with us as a father would deal with his sons with love and mercy. Knowing, Lord, that we need, we need your truth, we need your wisdom. That we need to be cleansed. That we need discipline in our lives. As we come before you, Father, I thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. 
that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So I pray this morning, Lord, if there is someone here whose heart is touched by your word this morning, that, Father, they would, they would be able to come to you. True repentance. Willing to give, give it all for your sake. That nothing would stand between them and you regardless of the cost. Thank you for all you have done for us. Lord, I pray a blessing upon this congregation, Lord. That your hand of mercy would continue to be upon them, that your face of blessing would shine upon them, that you would be merciful to them, give them peace and rest, that even in this dark world and in this violent world, that there would be rest with you, Lord, that even with we, though we face trouble and, and turmoil in the flesh, yet we know that in this flesh we shall see God. So I pray, God, that you would keep them and preserve them as your own until the day you return. In Jesus' name, amen.